Three, two, one, and what up? What's going on, man? Uh, welcome back to the second episode of Fill in the Blank. Um, everybody who listened last time, thank you. Rahil, thank you for joining on this one. And Happy to be here. One of the things I'm, I'm actually getting better at is kind of saying, hey, uh, I have a podcast, and this is what it's about. So I'm going to keep it simple. This podcast, for those of you who are just joining today, um, is really about discovering something about yourself that maybe was a blind spot or maybe something that you relate to or resonate, resonates with you based on other people sharing. So I'm going to invite a bunch of people. Uh, you know, the, the feedback from Gabby was a little too much, Rahil. So I'm going to try and <laughs> not let you outshine me. <laughs> but um, she's definitely going to be a regular. You probably will too, just because we've been friends forever. Um, so let me do my quick intro on you and then let's just hop into it, bro. Let's do it. All right. So for those of you who don't know, Rahil, who's on the phone, has been my best friend for like ever, right? So he's someone I consider a good friend. I, got, I have it written down. Chicago born, Texas bred, diehard Bears, Cubs, Bulls fan, head of programmatic media for New York City, publicist, publicist. Peak level wing fluencer. You can catch him at the Wings Chronicle. Former Wings NYC. We'll talk about that later. I'm not a big fan of, but whatever. Uh, frequent guest judge for all wing contests around all the metro area. Overlook 42nd Street, right? 44th between second and third. There you go. Hall of Famer. I was at the induction. Induction. World traveler. Best person to tag along to their work Christmas party for sure. Uh, arguably the best wedding Tribeca has ever seen. That's big. Uh, husband big. of my favorite socialite in life, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure Sarah will come more than she needs to. I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> currently living in a true one bedroom in New York City, but he loves New Jersey. True or false? False. <sighs> Tough start to the podcast. <laughs> uh, what up, bro? <laughs> I'm indifferent. I'm kidding. Uh, what's up, man? You've probably been to Jersey more times than you'd like to admit. Yeah, but remember, I've always wanted to come back. There's so many places we wanted to do. We wanted to hit Asbury Park. I still have never been to Atlantic City. Um, God that. knows if I'll ever get that opportunity. We'll see you when the world got, You back never up. went to Asbury Park? No. Oh, you have to do that. I know. Oh, dude. Vinny was spending a lot of time there. For those of you who don't know, Vinny's one of our really good friends. It's actually how Rahil and I got to know each other. We met each other at a boozy brunch in 2013. Yeah, 2013 at Prana, which used to be located on 28th Street. Yeah, they closed that down pretty quick. It was fun. Was that your was first fun. year in New York City? It was my first year. I moved October 2012. Damn. I moved October 15th. I remember because it was uh, the weekend of Texas OU. Our, arguably our biggest college football game. Yeah. I moved that Saturday. We lost to Oklahoma, so I was pissed when I landed. Um, we went out that night to the bar No Fun yeah. on Ludlow Street. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, Hurricane Sandy happens, and I don't have a job, and now I can't Dude. find one because no one's hiring. Oh, my God. Yeah. So where were you? Li- were you living with Sarah? Did you have your own place? <clears throat> so, I, so I quit my job in, in Dallas. I was, I was working at J.P. Morgan at the time. Yeah. I hated banking. It was not for me. Yeah, I was so I quit my job. Point. I moved to New York. And basically, until I could find my bearings, find a job and everything, Sarah um, and her roommate at the time, who I actually knew from college, let me live with them. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to find a job at the end of the year in December. 
started in January. Their lease was in over in February. And Sarah and I kind of just said, well, you know what, this will probably be financially responsible if we split a room and, and, you know, it'll be cheaper for both of us and we'll continue to live with that said roommate. So we ended up finding an apartment on Mulberry and Houston. One of my favorite oh, wow. apartments of all time. Early spot. Oh yeah. It was, it was amazing, man. And uh, we lived there for a year, the three of us. Uh, after, after the year, Sarah and I said, let's try to find our own spot. Yep. And then we found a studio, <laughs> the one on First Street and Second Avenue in front of the Whole Foods. Oh. Lived together in a studio for four years before moving to our current location in Lower East Side. And we've been here for over two years now. Yeah, so essentially, we went from long distance for the first year we dated to me immediately moving in in New York City and never leaving. I mean, that sounds, that sounds like a very Sarah relationship right there. I mean... Hey, if you can... If you can live in a, a studio for four years and then end up getting married after the fact, then uh, <laughs> it's funny, right? Because I've been married now almost two years, and you know, I always tell people the relationship changes, right? You're in yeah. close proximity with the person. I mean, Kat and I lived together for a long time in different apartments, but never in such small quarters. So, yeah. like, you're the most. Like, I feel, you know, how long? How long you been married? Seven months. Ooh. Yeah. Damn, you wear the ring all the time now, or only sometimes? I do. Yeah, you do. Okay. Starting to slip off though, you know. Damn, you're I, I starting to the other way. During quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yo. So let's let's. So you know, I hope people kind of get a, a feel for the cadence right now. But um, let's like zoom out a little bit, right? So one of the things. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on. First off, Gabby was great on the first episode. If you guys haven't seen that, watch that. Um, you know, obviously being family, you know, you know, Gabby from, you know, our crazy times in New York city and just kind of all yeah. over the place. She's a big part of my life. And I wanted to bring you on because we kind of have a similar vibe, right? Similar banter. I mean, we're in like, you're in like 90% of my group chats, um, <laughs> you know, and we bullshit all day long together. And the other thing was that, um, what was it? Oh, so the bachelor party. That yeah. really kind of like solidified it for me when I went to your bachelor party and I got to meet all of your friends. Because in New York, we hang out. It's great. But it's always like our close-knit group of friends and maybe a few yeah. others that you scatter off with. But I actually got to meet the people that you like grew up with. Like yeah. these guys were telling me stories at dinner because we spent how many days in Lake Tahoe? Four days? Uh, let's see. We were in SF first and then we went yeah. to Tahoe for like three nights. Yeah. So I was the first person at your bachelor party. Yeah. On that, caught you at the airport. Um, and then we actually get that upgrade at the W, which was amazing. That was Biden's awesome. Lead, and that was really cool. Um, and then Nuvi met with us. Uh, with the, Nuvi's another friend of ours who came from London that day, uh, who yeah. was killing the Nespresso machine in that hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he left the room for like four hours. He just pounded Nespresso's. Um, no, but so, so we were at dinner and, you know, I hung out with like a bunch of other people. Um, and one of the things that was kind of like the theme was that, A, we grew up together. Uh, our dads all worked together. So, like, kind of give me, like, what kind of kid was Rahil, right? Like, if we could, like, go back, uh, kind of yeah. what was childhood like? Um, what do you remember of it? You know, uh, I think, you know, immigrant to immigrant. My dad came here when he was 17, tried to make life, right, and then did. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a similar story to yours. I don't think it's even something we've talked about. But just kind of rip off that. Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, um, I obviously, you know, take a lot of pride in um, being from Chicago, but it's just happenstance that a lot of the people that were coming over from the area that my parents grew up in, right, in Karachi, Pakistan, they were all going to maybe two or three different locations 
in the United States. Mm-hmm. It, it was either New York, either Chicago, and then later on, it was most probably Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my dad came to Chicago, I want to say in the 70s. Um, okay. So he was here early on, and then my mom came early 80s. Were you born at this time, or you weren't even born yet? I wasn't born. They hadn't even met yet, so then they okay. met. Oh, okay, okay. Um, they met, they got married in Chicago, and then I was born in 88. Do you know um, where they met in Chicago? So funny story. Um, my dad is actually, was really, really good friends with my mom's older brother. Okay. Oh. Like they knew each other from back home. And my uncle was living in Chicago at the time. My whole, my whole extended family, my uncles, my aunts, everyone was in Chicago at this point. And then my mom moved when she was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they met. And so it's, it's impressive because it's a love marriage at a time that like not a lot of people had it. Um, but what's also very interesting is that my daddy is a little bit older than my mom, right? Cause he, he's friends with my oldest yep. uncle on that side. Um, so what, like when five I, years, six years, 13. Whoa. Yeah. So, Jesus. so they met and it was, it was a love marriage. So you can't, yeah. you can't, you know, deny that. And then, um, my uncle was super pissed. He did not like that idea. I wonder what that just, conversation was like. Like just he refused to come to the wedding. He was what? He refused to come to the wedding. Stop um, it. And then, kind of as it, the time came closer, and, and you know, all the other uncles and aunts had a chance to talk to him. He eventually, you know, conceded and came. But um, it's just it's so interesting to hear because when you grow up, you don't see any of that, right? If there was yeah. ever any animosity, that that went away. Um, because I was fortunate, like I, I was the eldest, I have a younger sister, but okay. I grew up basically with older brothers because my, then you met all of them, right? Yeah. All my cousins at the bachelor party, like they, they so were cool. always, yeah, they were, they're, the eldest one is like four or five years older than me. And then it's just kind of an iteration every year. There was another kind of one of us, and this is all from my mom's side. Um, so growing up in Chicago, like I had the influence of the older guys, right. And that's kind of where two things came from right my passion for all the sports particularly uh the bears and the and the cubs and of course the bulls in the 90s growing up in chicago that's just an easy one um but my my absolute love for the wwf like i was really uh, dude growing up in the 90s and having the bulls and having that wwf attitude era were you like, like a real wwf or were you like a hogan fan no like like i i remember growing up through the creation and the dissolvement of the degeneration x right the nation yes. of domination um all the and i just still remember when rock the rock was rocky mayavia like back when he was yeah. wearing the nice you know yeah, curls and stuff hairline yeah <laughs> so those things like i just i became so enamored with and passionate about Dude. and yes they're sports and sports entertainment yeah. but that was like a huge part of my childhood that i remember uh and then when i was i want to say eight yeah. seven uh, my my family moved to Texas. More opportunity in Dallas. It was booming at the time. Yeah. Um, Bigger you know, house, was, everything, or or did you guys like what was the living situation like in Chicago? Were you like living with just a family? Were you living with other people too? And then you kind of wanted. We were. It, it was just us, um, but you know, it was in a it was in a very small like apartment in the north side of Chicago, mm-hmm. right off of Sheridan, which is pretty much by Lake Michigan. Uh, my dad was driving a cab. His podcast, but it was it was it was pretty dangerous. Like his cab got broken into like every other week or something. Like it wasn't like the greatest. 
place. So um, they obviously saw that Chicago wasn't going to be the best place to continue building anything. So um, my uncle, the same one who my dad was friends with, the same one who almost didn't show up to the wedding, he had already moved down to Dallas, Texas. So my family followed. Um, and then I grew up in Dallas for the next 16 years. Um, you know, the things kind of always were back and forth, you know, that we, there was never any sort of success. Yeah. Um, so that kind of ended up being a driving force and, you know, all right, what the hell am I going to do with my life? Like, where am I going? At what age do you really ask yourself that? Like, cause there's a certain, I mean, me grow, I grew up in like Lincroft, New Jersey. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the kids around me were going to McDonald's, skateboarding, riding our bikes into the woods, going on trails. I don't think it was until I was like maybe 13, 14 that I even thought, oh, do I have to get a job? Like, what do I do now? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 and I maybe never understood the whole gravity of the situation until I was 13. Um, my family actually left Dallas. We moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, shit. Because all the cousins and all the influences that I had in my life were Chicago. Mm-hmm. Everyone had left. No one was left in Illinois. I had, we had moved down to Texas. My uncle, who had originally moved to Texas, had moved to Georgia, and everyone else who was in Chicago had now relocated to Atlanta. So all my family was now in Atlanta, and we were the only ones left in Dallas. Got it. And because of that, and because of some, you know, unfortunate, like, business mishaps in in Texas, we uprooted and moved to Atlanta. Got it. Hard to do when you're 13, because at that point, you basically built, uh, you know, relationships and, and a foundation wherever you are. So I wasn't thrilled about it. Um, it was nice to be near family, but I was 13. So I was kind of a dick anyways. Um, so I lived there for 10 months before I was, uh, my mom, my, myself, my sister were like, we just, we just want to go back. Go back to Texas? Go back to Texas. We can't live in Atlanta anymore. So 10 months later, we moved back, moved back into the same apartment that we were living in before. But at the same time, like there was no business opportunities in Dallas. So my dad stayed in Atlanta and worked there and he's still been working in that region ever since same job same everything no it's like different stuff but like the opportunities in the southeast was yeah. a little bit more yeah available um so through georgia through alabama he's been working like on, on different stores that's and management crazy. stuff there huh yeah. that's so interesting so like i mean so the boys the boys at the bachelor party I remember them saying, you know, like, we remember the day Rahel left. Like, did, how much earlier did you leave before they followed? No? Isn't that what I heard? Did I hear that right or no? So, it's funny. So, all, most of the people that you met at yeah. the bachelor party, all our parents, like our moms and stuff, were all friends from all the way back home in Pakistan. No. And all of them had all migrated to Chicago. So a lot of those guys, we were all actually born in Chicago, knew each other in Chicago. Yeah. And then kind of at the same time, all of our families immigrated back down to Texas. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's really interesting because it's, it's not like I met a lot of these guys when I moved to Dallas. It's just that we had known each other in Chicago. We had been familiar with each other. Our families were so close. And then we all, for some reason, somehow migrated down to Dallas together. So um, it was interesting, but it gave you a level of comfort, right? So, yeah. and I, most of those guys I've known either since the day they were born or the day I was born. Right. It's just, um, it's very interesting and not a, not a very common sort of. Yeah. I mean, 
relationship no, that happens. The only even connection I can make to that is that my, so it's funny, right? When my dad came from, so my dad and his two brothers and one sister um, came from Peru. They all flew in. Half of them went to Atlanta. The other half went to New York. So I think they were all in Georgia at a certain time. And then my, then they all went to New York and then some of them went back. I, I, I don't know the whole story, but um, and it's always funny because there was always two brothers in Atlanta and then a brother and sister in New Jersey. So we kind of always had that, right? Like cousins were able to be with cousins. Yeah. But I never had that with friends. It was always just kind of a family thing. And I think that yeah. we like lived literally like behind each other. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we stayed in the same backyard. So like my cousin was my sister, like for my entire life. Yeah. And that's always interesting because like – I don't know. I don't know if it's my parents in general, but they were kind of a little more closed off to themselves. Like when you yeah. meet my dad and my mom, maybe not so much. You're like, wait, where did you come from? Like, <laughs> why, why are you not like more quiet and reserved? And like, why are you in like, why are you in my face? <laughs> you know? Well, cause you had that influence from yeah. that, that family. Yeah. It's true. It's gotta be the Caribbean side. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so do, I mean, dude, I'm trying to think, right? Because uh, you're so. Let me ask you this, right? And if it's too personal, we'll we'll divert. But I think that one of the things that me coming into this, me growing up in the states, you kind of don't know anything else, right? You're just yeah. the air that I breathe. Uh, but it, it was definitely, I'd say, in like the high school times, where you know I started to notice that okay, I don't look like everybody else. Did you ever have that? in like Chicago, Texas, Atlanta, those are kind of melting pots. So I don't know, but yeah. did you ever have that like feeling like, Oh man, like people are picking on me cause I'm different. Like, yeah. Um, I mean the biggest moment that comes up for someone in my position was probably nine 11 being in Texas. Oh, that was, dude. yeah, that was interesting. Um, everyone remembers where they were when that happened, but the aftermath is just, it was kind of surreal because even if like people weren't saying anything, you could kind of just feel it. Yeah. Kind of like when people, oh, I mean, not kind of, but like if I see somebody at CVS right now, the way they look at me with their eyes, like don't get near me. Yeah. Don't get near me. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was probably the first time, you know, I, I can, I guess I could say I was fortunate, like nothing like severe ever happened or anything like directly. Um, maybe that's because the town I grew up in Texas was just a little bit better. Good. Um, could be the case, but you could you could just feel something changing in the air that that lasted for f quite a few years like it wasn't until like you're back in like uh end of high school when you built the camaraderie with anyone and everyone around you and then going to college where you know austin texas is oh, the, yeah. one of the most liberal places on earth um things kind of just you know felt a little bit more normal but then it, i mean you're just going through different things at different times right like uh, at that point it wasn't no matter about like who I was and what I look like now it was about well the world around me is ending in 2008 when shit's going down and so you're like all right well I'm in school I'm in business school and the financial world is burning <laughs> around me so it's a different emotion it's a different thing but the moment like me though because I had them I was also in business school right at that similar time and I'm like okay like this will be my cushion like I'll just stay in school and then when I come out yeah like it'll be okay or at least be better but like I had no idea the magnitude. I was I was very fortunate because I I started school in 2007. So I had until 2011. I had a grace period where 
we could hope that things would get better and they did. Um, so yeah, I was fortunate, but it's interesting how like you could just tell that people had to kind of divert and change their curriculum be- and on the spot because they're like, we have to tell these kids like what yeah. the hell's going on in the world and why it's happening. Um, so it's a very interesting time, but I'm, I'm glad I did it. And even though I'm in media and then working at an agency, like a lot of what I learned yeah. helped put me in that position. I just think it's funny, right? Because um, we went to college. I mean, I went for a finance degree too, right? And then I went straight to Merrill. And I was interning there. And then they gave me a job after I graduated, which was its own story in itself. I don't even know how I got in there. But, um, <laughs> and you went to J.P. Morgan. So it's like we walked into a fire, you know, yeah. uh, of a time that we didn't know that things were collapsing and things were going to be reorganized and the way things were before, the way now. But it's kind of like we adapt the same way we are now. Yeah. You know? Who's going to know what the damage is going to be off this, but I know it's, we know that we're going to adapt. We know that, you know, macro, you're going to, you're always going to bet on us. You know, yeah. I don't want to go anywhere else. I really like it here. Um, I don't know. I heard Scandinavia is nice. <laughs> <laughs> this might actually, you, man. Dude. I mean, what, so you're moving, you're leaving me, you're leaving New York, which is sad in itself. So I'll be able to replay this as my own memento as the time you and I talked to New York. Um, and I'm sure we'll cry, but I mean, how's that? So how is it, let's, let's, let's transition it this way. How is it, I think something that's relatable to people, how is it to move during a pandemic, first off, to be in New York, the epicenter, second off, and then yeah. moving to a place like LA across the country where you're moving your entire apartment and your partner into a whole yeah. new so I would say if, you, if we had this conversation at the beginning of March, it would have been very different um, because circumstances put you in a position where you just, you have to make a decision that you may not want to, but you know, it's like the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. So um, we're actually probably delaying any sort of relocation. Universe we're probably going to be in New York for a little bit longer. Um, and I say that because it's just not worth the anxiety and the toll it would take to uproot and move anywhere, let alone cross country in a time of such uncertainty. So, um, I think there's so many pros and cons and we kind of battle internally all the time. It's just like, okay, I get that the world is shut down, but the world is a little bit easier to live in in a huge area a huge metropolitan like Los Angeles, right? Mm-hmm. Because I could probably have double the size of an apartment. I could probably have, I have a car. I could drive. I can go out. I can go to the hills. I can go to a trail. Yep. I can get out. Here, I mean, we're stuck in a 400 square foot apartment in the Lower East Side. We leave our apartment every eight or nine days. And that's, and that's, and it's every day it's a battle because we're out. We're walking around the block, but we're have anxiety ridden because. Yep. 70% of the people I'm fucking looking at are not wearing a mask. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get that. And it's, we and it's infuriating. Park. Yeah, we were it's at the just... park yesterday and, and it was, I mean, there was a lot of people who didn't have masks on. And there's big signs that say, hey, yeah. this thing mask required. And a lot of people aren't taking it serious, which is, I mean, so is anxiety levels right now just at the peak, like for everything? Yeah. Like, do you? For everything. Yeah. Like, we barely, like, go get stuff, right? Like, we we get, we get deliveries, but even when our delivery comes, like now we have, there's like a, a ritual that needs to be 
perform to make sure that you feel safe and, and you know your your sanity is intact and there's you know this essence of cleanliness and everything that you're bringing into your home so um you could imagine like we barely order stuff you know the one time i went to get groceries it took me like an hour and a half to make sure i got enough to last a longer period of time so i didn't have to go through that experience again with um, the lines insane i got lucky i don't know what happened but i went to union market which is very close to us yeah. um there was no line i was able to get through without really interacting with anybody i had ended up having like six bags that i could not take in one trip so i had to take two trips back luckily my apartment's close enough yeah um but then you're just then sarah had to spend another additional two and a half three hours basically disinfecting everything that was bought so it it ended up being a five hour sort of like situation just to get groceries it was was, and are you i mean are you leveraging amazon for like your cleaning products and stuff like that or yeah we've been fortunate right we have uh we had we had some of that stuff already in place a lot of our friends and families have been kind enough to purchase it where they see a lot more availability and then ship it to us so friends and family who can go to Costco and can go to Sam's club in Texas or in Georgia where there's ample kind of yeah. capability of getting Kroger. stuff. They I'm buy it and they ship it to us. What's that? I'm learning about Kroger more. I was like, I didn't know that was even a thing. Kroger's huge. Yeah. I mean, Kroger's huge in the South, but it's, um, it's a pretty big player and it's growing and they're hiring so many fucking people now because they need to. So, um, yeah, it's just, it, I don't want to say it's a new way of living because I hate that. I hate the thought of that, but yeah, it's an adjustment that we've kind of gotten used to at this point. Yeah, it is. And I mean, you know, I try not to get too sucked down the rabbit hole because, you know, cat is in crisis communication for very large um, logistics companies. Yeah. So I hear about the transitions that are happening around the world and what the new normal looks like in certain areas. But I mean, we're going to learn, right? I think it's yeah. going to be trial and error uh, and we're going to copy other countries and we're going to try and do the right thing. And there's people that follow, people that don't follow. And then we'll see. I mean, it's just, it's funny. I read the tweet from the guy from Black Mirror. He's like, I'm not putting out new episodes because you, guys <laughs> yeah. don't, you don't need more ideas. You know, it's like <laughs> got murderous hornets coming from the West. We got oh COVID out here. We got, you know, it's, and it's real. You know, I've, yeah. I've had two people uh, in my circle that have had people that have died, which is, yeah. which is crazy, right? I mean, you just don't. You don't look at the situation the same after that. Uh, and if you yeah. have, then you look at it a different way just because you do. Uh, yeah. All right, let's, let's switch gears, right? So one of the things that I think I'd like to take advantage of having you on uh, is that I get to kind of flex the business muscle, right? You're kind of a big deal at Publicis. You were the deal at Nucleus. We could talk about that. Um, and we could just kind of talk about kind of how you got into where you're at, right? I think that... Yeah. You know, it's something that we don't normally talk about in our group chats as much about kind of, hey, what's going on at work? Me and Vinny do. And again, Vinny's our, our mutual friend. We're in the same industry. Vinny actually, you know, I can't wait to get him on this podcast because he's the one that hired <laughs> me uh, for my first like tech job. We sat in the same yeah. room and I lied. <laughs> and, and I got the job. <laughs> so it'll be funny to see when he comes on. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, kind of walk me through kind of how, how you got to where you're at now. What, what kind of, what is it? Like, what does it feel like to do that, right? Because I think when people see publicists, they think, okay, big advertising house, huge legacy, yeah. obviously French company. Uh, so I guess, you know, take it how you want to take it, uh, how you got to where you're at now, kind of what's interesting about it. 
and and what's going on, I guess, in work today because we're all yeah. remote, right? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The, the the path that got me to this moment is it's the the one least taken, probably. Um, but you know, I being in the financial world, you know, having that sort of skill set, the analytical background, right, and like working with numbers and things like that, it kind of lends you towards a specific route. And so when I moved to New York and I was looking for a job, I wanted to do something sexier, but I needed to leverage the skills that I had already built. Um, so I started looking in the entertainment, right, industry or like anything to do with media and entertainment. And I was fortunate enough to get a job at Viacom mm -hmm. and build up more analytical skill sets, but more so tailored towards digital media, digital ad sales, because I was working for the likes of MTV.com, ComedyCentral.com, Spike TV, right? Um, and that you kind of understand like the, the, the sell side of the business and how people are selling advertising on their content and, and things of that nature. So that building that up over the years at Viacom, then going to Mashable, uh, and ultimately at Nucleus kind of built this kind of opportunity for me to completely hone in and complete, so to speak, my training and the sell side of the digital media world. So I had ample sort of insight and experience in how to do it and how to build it and how to kind of achieve some sort of success in that realm. But I had no idea how the buying side worked. I didn't know what the hell the agencies were doing. I didn't know what the brands and the advertisers, you know, generally looked for. So um, I essentially said, let me take a shot. And I was fortunate enough that Digitas reached out to me um, as they're an agency under Publicis. And I met with, you know, some of the head people of media in New York, in the U.S. Um, and they saw an opportunity to bring in someone who just had a unique perspective. And they hadn't done that before. So they kind of took a shot on me. Um, and now I've been there for two years. and you know, been fortunate enough to work on some amazing accounts. We've worked on sports apparel brands. We've worked on tech B2B businesses, a uh, huge consumer healthcare brand right now um, that through all the turmoil of the world is kind of seeing success, right? And so it's like, how do you handle that? And how do they do um, that, you, right? Are, are, are they getting more creative with less? Are they just kind of pivoting off of what's going on now and trying to just lend a hand? Like, what's their approach, I guess? And you could talk, you know, you could talk strategy, and then yeah. maybe also just because some people who are going to be, you know, I'm thinking about the audience, not like I know about a little bit about the advertising world, just because Kat was at Momentum, she was at mm -hmm. YNR, and I basically lived in New York in Brooklyn because she had an internship there. I was like yeah. sharing a bed, <laughs> literally, <laughs> in a dorm room. Uh, that was the way I got into New York every day and was able to afford having my internship. Um, so kind of like, you know, talk about that holistically too, as you're going into what their approach is. Cause like, I think that's, I mean, build a bridge. Yeah. So the business side for someone like in that, let's call it like the OTC market, right? This Which is stuff is that's, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, so like working in that sort of situation, they saw a natural kind of opportunity or a natural growth explosion in just consumer behavior change due to the pandemic like people were just buying up everything and anything in in masses right and they were hoarding things right so that extended itself to pain medicine it extended itself to um, oral care um, and extended itself to particularly like respiratory care so you know cold medicine 
flu medicine, all these things just in the February, March timeframe just blew up. Um, so they saw a natural increase in their sales, but you had to be mindful of a lot of things in terms of how you approached your consumer audience, how you were messaging them and how you were reaching them, right? Because a lot of messages sometimes have to do with people in a certain moment, right? Like let's say um, one of our brands helps with smoking, right? Like it's a, it's a brand that's supposed to help you curb uh, smoking, uh, your sort of any sort of appetite you may have for it, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of times you, when you look at the strategy, you're going after people who love entertainment, who love going out, who love going to concerts, right? Because who love going to bars and stuff like that, right? Because you see a lot of people potentially smoking outside of these places, right? Like that, that's when a craving comes in when they're kind of having a night out. Um, yeah. How do you message that at a time when no one can do it, right? No one is able to go out in March. People are just now getting things open again. Um, the cost, right, to, to purchase something that'll help you curb that sort of addiction is high. It's a premium product. Are people really going to look to pay a premium or are they going to, you know, save their cash reserves for things that matter most? So you have to think about how you're going to curb the messaging that you're saying and how you're reaching that audience in a given moment in time. Um, so those are kind of things you had to think about, right? Uh, for other brands, it was a no-brainer. They just kept going with the same thing. Maybe we tailored the messaging a little bit just to make sure that, you know, we understood how people can have anxiety and stress in the moment in time and how we could help, right? Yep. Um, although, I don't know about you, I've, I'm fucking exhausted from the new messaging during COVID-19. Like, so, every, every brand saying, I'm there for you, we're there for yeah. you, like, shut the hell up. I yeah, so care. one of the things that I've, so, you know, I've been listening, I've been watching, and you know, just real life stuff, right? I think that two things that you and I have in common are, I mean, we're very social people. So being yeah. inside, I, I we'll talk about that in a second too, because I think that is something that maybe brands are taking into, into, into consideration, right? There are people who are so used to being social in my job, in my personal life, in my everything. Yeah. I'm social. Like I can't go for a run and not go to the coffee shop and strike up a 15 minute conversation with the dude there. Like I can't do yeah. those now so i have to find other outlets which is kind of why this podcast came to be is that i just yeah. need to talk to people <laughs> you know it's like you guys are my form of therapy and then also other and then and then kind of scale that other people can listen to it too other people can get included in that yeah. that's a really i think a good ripple effect of it um the other thing is that the credit card companies so i'm seeing chase i'm seeing a lot of other things what they're starting to do is they're realizing that their people aren't able to accumulate points the way they were before you know, yeah. United, just two things that I use a lot. Um, and now it's like all essential items, right? Whatever is on the essential items list yeah. for MasterCard, for Chase, uh, United card, you get triple the points for that. So you can accumulate it and then purchase somewhere. So like they're trying to adapt it. And the messaging, I mean, I don't really see the messaging. I just see kind of the perks. They're like, you know, if you buy here or if you buy groceries, or if you buy flu medicine, if you buy at the pharmacy, we're going to give you triple the points. I mean, is that something that you guys are recommending to your clients or what are, what are you guys like? What are, I guess, some uh, creative stuff you guys are doing? We, I think what's helpful is um, not being toned down the best you can. Right? <laughs> so um, it's tough when you live in it, when you it live is in tough. the industry, it's very tough. But there's a difference between like 
saying how we're all in this together versus saying, here's how this could potentially help you. Because at the end of the day, you could try to mask an advertisement as being like a positive message for someone, but I'm going to say most consumers are not idiots and they know what you're doing. You're trying to sell a product. So that's why the, the exhaustion is starting to come in because people are just seeing it over and over again from brands who have made a ton of mistakes in the past. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know, seeing Facebook portal messaging kind of is so, so frustrating when they're, they're continually in the, in the news uh, over the last decade and how much they don't give a shit about consumer privacy. They don't yeah. care about who they're giving that information to. Um, and they don't give a shit about accuracy and fact checking. So mm-hmm. why the hell would I, and that this is me personally talking yeah, no, about they're checking a box, right? And I think yeah. that they even bought a security company, right? So under yeah. the guise of, Hey, we own a security company. We're going to ingrain them into our infrastructure. I mean, a lot of people do this, bro. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of companies that I've done business with in the past and there's a lot of companies that, you know, are for, for my side, it's like the startup cybersecurity world. It's kind of cool that to see Comcast buy, you know, a person that yeah. we do business with. Um, but what are they going to do with them? Are they going to use them as a centerpiece to grow off of and actually whether use it as a moneymaker or use it as a checkbox to say, hey, uh, we're a media company. We have a cybersecurity arm, yeah. right? And so that means that we're secure. It's not that simple. Yeah. But from the outside, that's what they're trying to portray. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we, we've dealt with people having to check in and, and change their messaging, even in a world where it doesn't make sense for them to do it. Right. Like if you're a B2B business, um, you don't really talk to the cons- average consumer, then how do you message, change your messaging in the current yeah. time frame, Right. Um, some of our brands that we work with on the over the counter side, they just completely ran out of supply. They, their supply chain is kind of, it's not broke. It's just that they, they've run out because people were hoarding and sticking up. So like now how the hell do you even message, right? Like we don't, we have to stop because outside of certain, you know, always on sort of mechanisms that continue to be out there. Like we had to change a bulk of the media because there's no point. People can't find the product um, at stores and shelves. So people are going through very different things right now. Yeah. Um, some of them, you know, not as fortunate. Some of them are having to completely cut any sort of advertising budget they had because they need to save the company and save the bottom line. And that's kind of the first thing that has anyone gone bankrupt in your Rolodex yet? Or, I mean, you don't have to say names, right? But I mean, no, I... not, not, not anything that severe. We work with companies that tend not to fail. Um, Got it. But they are ones that have had to kind of pull back a lot um, are going through their own sort of you know, issues internally, whether, you know, a lot of people I'm sure I've had to deal with layoffs or salary reduction and things like that. So a lot of these corporations are going through the same thing. And, if they can manage to salvage some of that by taking away their advertising budget, they will. And I'm not going to blame them. For that. So, yeah. um, we do what we can in that environment. And if we see, you know, folks, you know, losing the opportunity of working on business, we'll, we'll do what we can to find somewhere else where help is needed. But I think times are tough for everybody. currently. It is. It's a reevaluation period. Right. And I think yeah. I feel that on a personal level, I feel it on a business level. Because, you know, I deal with very large telco companies and they're reevaluating where it's like we're reevaluating first off what we're spending, what projects we're doing, what's a priority, what's essential. And then from there, we're going to basically put the criteria, put the decision on the higher ups, right? So yeah. I'm seeing reorgs where it's thinner at the top. One guy has to do, you know, maybe six different 
yeah. uh, departments and that's, t- and that's just it. Right. But that it yeah. then goes up to business and then it goes, so like everybody's watching where the dollars are going and I can empathize because I'm doing the same, you know, Kat and I right now are, uh, I'm, I'm basically using this time to educate myself. Right. What's the things that I get excited about when things yeah. like this happen and I don't get excited about much, but like, it's just, okay, where's going to be the opportunity, right? Business, business mindset. Where's the opportunity going to be? Like we had a conversation on the couch uh, to, on Saturday and I was asking her, I'm like, you know, like the, I talked to my mortgage guy last week and was asking him questions about, you know, what should the behaviors be right now if I'm going to look to say, move into a nicer area and a larger home in the next two to three years, right? So he's giving me his observations. He's telling me that based on historical experience, this is how it's going to shake out. And then I start watching some YouTube videos. And the next thing you know, it's like, I'm like a, a real estate guru. <laughs> you know? And um, so I'm talking to Kat and I'm explaining to her all the things that I'm talking about. And the thing that kind of hit me because we're a conservative, fiscally conservative, like household, you know, mostly on the cat side, like she definitely <laughs> holds it tight. We're frugal. We don't spend a lot. Um, but you know, it's like, what if, right? What if we could buy the million dollar house in the really nice neighborhood that's got the good schools for P uh, in the next three years, but get it for a million for 500. And then I started to think, well, I mean, are you running out of battery on your things? Keep going. Okay. <laughs> my my AirPods, AirPods die after one hour. Do it? <laughs> the worst. Um, and then, oh, so we were, what, then we started to think about that, right? And then I started to go, well, I mean, you know, we we pay less than less than five hundred for this house. What if we could just What if we could just get a more modern? Could be a similar size, right? We're not that big. We don't plan on having like eight kids. So, what if we could just get that and then, like implant this house, a more modern version, into a nicer area? Maybe spend less than we did on this house, and then keep same flow, right? Just take care of that opportunity. So, like that's where my mind goes. Um, when I, when I think about what opportunity for me, like, I'm just, we're just saving, we're only spending on food. You know, this, this hoodie was like $4. I don't know. Like, <laughs> do you have a, uh, have you budgeted in the Jet season right tickets yet? What? Did you budget in the Jet season tickets though? Oh dude. So can we talk about that? <laughs> so I have the guy's number who calls me like every year asking like, we've got this offer going on. I'm like, dude, you're going to call me in three weeks with a limited time offer. Like I know it. <laughs> I'm down to go halves on the on the Jets tickets, bro. If you are, I bet your life I'm not coming out to that life. <laughs> are you gonna get Ram season tickets? What are you gonna do? No, I'm still on the wait list for the Bears. Are you honest. serious? Yeah, you are a Cubs season ticket holder. Uh, I am. There's just not a season. <laughs> That's a problem. This is my first year. What are they doing with that? So this is uh. First year as season ticket holder for the Cubs. The opportunity was brought to me by Sarong, who you know. Yeah. Um, and so three of us went in on a couple of seats out in the bleachers. Uh-huh. And it was two different um, payments, right? Like the, the first half was due and then the second half was due a month after. We actually made the first half payment, I believe, in February. And then March was when the second payment was due, but they delayed that one. So now it's just – as soon as Manfred and the, and the MLB association and the players association make a decision, that's when we start kind of being like, all right, here's your money back. Or they'll ask to keep the money and they'll give you like some sort of credit going next season. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'd rather have the money back. <laughs> so 
I can do what I need to do with it. And then I'll come revisit that next year. Who knows what the hell could happen next year. So I'm not taking that sort of, I'm a little bit more risk averse when it comes to that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just sucks, man. We were so amped. We were supposed to be in yeah. Chicago, April 24th for a game. Like the summertime shy is, is so <laughs> much fun. Oh, I just hate it. I hate everything around us right now. It's just, I mean, it's disrupted a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. All right, cool. Let's wrap this up. I, I've held you now 55 minutes, I think. Um, it's so, going by fast. Yeah, bro. Right. I mean, I feel like we're definitely going to need more, right? We're definitely, yeah. I mean, I think we touched the service on a few things. One of the things that I liked was, you know, we could kind of riff on a technical level and I'm, yeah. I'm genuinely interested in your industry. So, because I think it moves and you guys are also selling stuff to other people who are selling stuff, which is yeah. like very meta. Um, <laughs> very cool. And there's a lot of money to be made there. Um, yeah. So, all right, cool. So the way that we end this is by me asking you a question. So I'm going to ask you the question and then I'll give you like four seconds to think about it while I just kind of wrap it up. Um, cool. Cause I don't want to hold you more than an hour. I have a call and then I got to send this off to for post edit. So, so the whole fill in the blank, right? Let's go over it again. Fill in the blank. We're listening to stories. We're talking to Rahil and we're trying to see what other people are hearing off of it, right? What empowerment, what silver lining? Um, the question that we're asking every guest is, okay, so after all this conversation, discovering the blank in you by listening to the blank in them. So when you hear that statement, discovering the blank in you by listening to the blank in them, what comes to you? And this could be in any context, right? That's a good question. Um, it's my podcast name. <laughs> Fill in the blank, Ryle. I mean, look, it's it's you're hard pressed to understand the situation that the whole world is in right now, and I understand some people are going through it a lot more in a more difficult stance than others. You asked, you know, how is it living in New York City? Um, in the epicenter at one point of this whole situation, you, you, you generally discover the, the fortune in you, um, you know, by having to see the struggles in them. And it's, mm. I say that because, you know, every single day you're look, watching Cuomo, you know, who's done a hell of a job mm. um, to the best of his ability, right? And you're watching the numbers. And you're, it's, it's become a point where, you know, one death is new as 10,000 as a statistic. And so it's become a statistic. Mm. Um, and it kind of, you kind of get too disenfranchised or too separated from the realities of it. And then there's the pieces, the think pieces or the, or the, you know, hard hitting journalism or some sort of news that tells you a little bit more of a personal side to what's happening. And when you see that, you can, all you can do is count your blessings and figure out, like, look, I am stuck in a tiny ass apartment in the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only go outside every eight days, but. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I still have a job, luckily. Um, And I'm young. So when I'm ready, I I will hang out in Santa Monica and Manhattan Beach at some point in time. We're going to live another three, four lives, bro. So I think that, that, yeah, that's one thing that I've been reminded of a lot. I am really young uh, and this is happening. And this is something that never has happened before in anybody's lifetime. So, so it's, yeah the gratitude that that i feel on a daily basis is that so that's a really good that's a nice one dude i think i'm just glad i was 
this was I'm just glad I, I was able to watch uh, watch the Cubs win a World Series in my lifetime. That's all I ever asked. I, I mean, the fact <laughs> that you saw that in your first thirty years, pretty uh, pretty impressive. That's I mean, it's a high it's a high mountain. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bro. Thank you so much for joining. I love you. And all right, man. Later.